We are back. It's Chase and Josh of Factor Fantasy. That's Chase. I'm Josh. We are here to give you part two of our Mandalorian season two series. Well, today we will cover episodes four, five, and six. We're both super excited to bring this to you today. It's going to be a little bit different. I know last week you heard me tackle episode one of season two, Chase tackle episode two, and myself finished out with episode three. Today, we will flip that, and Chase is going to go ahead and take episode four. I'm going to take episode five. He's going to take episode six and close us out, and that's where we'll kind of tackle our thoughts of where it's going to go, what we think about, what we saw on screen, and also some of the great debates that you guys always come here to see. With that being said, I'll turn it over to Chase, see if he has anything to add, and we'll jump right into it here, starting with Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 4. You nailed it, brother. No, I'm just stoked, excited to still stay on this you know, iconic arc, which is what we we really looked forward to being back in our element here for over a year. It's taken so long to get back here, so just glad to be back. In the words of Anakin Skywalker, you underestimate my power. <laughs> and Jay Nelly can say his famous line. But yeah, before I say the famous line, before we get into it too, <laughs> I definitely want to give a quick recap of what we went over last week just in case you were just joining us for the first time today if you are welcome if you are someone that's been with us from day one thank you so much for your support and your loyalty but before i finish off that famous line that chase is talking (laughs) to uh i will say this is that yeah last week we went ahead and covered episodes one two and three of season two of mandalorian and there we kind of started off in episode one where we were with mando going over to Mos Pelgo, hanging out with Cobb Vanth, who ended up having some armor that was very uh, reminiscent of some armor that we saw in past Star Wars productions, I will say. Uh, they ended up taking out the Krayt Dragon. Mando got that armor off Cobb Vanth. And then from there, we kind of go into Season 2, where we get the New Republic kind of comes into play a little bit. They try to kind of pull... Mando over, he has some tricks up his sleeve, they end up on this icy planet, Uh, they end up getting attacked by a bunch of, uh, you know, homegrown creatures there, some ice spiders, but those X-Wings and New Republic actually ends up helping them out, get them out of the situation, doesn't give them too much help though, makes them kind of fix things on their own to patch them up enough to where they can get off the planet, but not much from there, closes out in uh, episode 3 where we get onto the planet Trask, where we meet some new Mandalorians, we get uh, Bo-Katan, she takes her helmet off. We see a couple things play into there with, you know, Mandalorians aren't really supposed to take their helmets off according to uh, Din Djarin's way of life. And on top of that, you know, if you were a big fan of the Clone Wars, you know who Bo-Katan is and the kind of role she plays. And so she finally has made her appearance in live action here. And she tells Mando where he can find one of the Jedi and that is going to kind of lead us into what we are talking about today but yes as Chase was talking about Anakin Skywalker way back in the day you underestimate my power but anyways I won't I won't give, <laughs> I won't give the uh, I, uh, you know I will force stop you and I you will try type of deal that will be for later on but uh, I know that's what he wanted me to do but we're going to save it that being said I'll let Chase take it from here <laughs> 
go right into episode four and then uh yeah we'll we'll keep this train rolling let's do it man let's go ahead and dive in Oberyn motherfucking Martell, baby. <laughs> My favorite guy is going to be with us for a long fucking time. So get used to it. <laughs> get fucking used to it. Let's do it, man. So episode four, we're starting out called The Siege. So I one thing I really loved about the way it starts out, you know, it really brings in emotional attachment to uh, the audience members just with the child here. Like, he's adorable, man. They're on the ship, and, you know, he's teaching him, like, what wires to connect to help, like, keep the ship, like, fixed. Because even though they paid the money to get it flying, but like we said last episode, it flies, right? (laughs) It flies. So one thing I did love was he was like, the red one, no, the blue one. The blue one and he keeps grabbing like the red one so i thought it was just adorable but anyways they need to go back to navarro for repairs and then we have this cutscene. so if y'all forget a big piece of last season was cara dune we brought her up a little bit last episode but we have this big breakout fight scene where she just kicks ass even at one point like throws a knife through a guy and then shoots another it's that classic like star wars western good the bad and the ugly only she's the good and she just kicks their ass bad and ugly it was fucking great she killed like five dudes five aliens whatever you want to call them then takes the money off the table I called it takes the money off the table from daddy, <laughs> big daddy that was like owning the room or whatever. So and then, for, uh, yeah, for everyone for to it. know what those creatures were, they were called uh, Aqualish Scavengers. So that's what they were. Those were the creatures that mm. she was fighting. But go ahead and, and, and keep going, but man. Yeah, no, I love it. Always go back to Jay Nelly for the correct names. You know, I'm awful with names, man. I think I called Oberon Oberon for like the longest time, which is a planet on Star Wars. But anyways, so uh, we get to this point. So Grief Karga. Um, remember Grief Karga from season one? Is that how I say it? Did I pronounce it right? Grief Karga? Uh, like he gets, so Mando and the child uh, land on the planet. And then they're getting off the ship, and Grief Karga, like, really is happy to see him. Uh, Cara Dune's there, and, you know, Grief Karga even says, you know, repair this man's ship. <laughs> like, let's let's take care of this man. So they're getting his ship repaired, and the child, like, kind of the next scene we have from here, pushing a little forward, is they, you know, they're protecting the child for the time being, and he's, like, sitting in class with these children it almost reminded me of someone going to school like a child at school and um uh this is kind of cool like another like that uh droid we saw from before in the last episode it was very similar i don't know if it was the exact same but we get this c3po looking droid kind of another reminiscence from the older star wars even though it has like a woman's voice it was it was cool and he uses the this like kid that's sitting across from the child is eating like a piece of candy or something and he uses the force to move it and this is really important because it reminds us too even though we've seen glimpses of it from season one that the child has these powers that there he has it's not like he's just a random alien like very special even though yes people call him baby yoda which we definitely get the hint of but people forget he is very powerful so 
Then we kind of have another like full circle moment from season one. So I called him the blue fish guy. What was his name? I cannot remember his name at all. His name was Mithril. 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 I called him fish. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so Mithril. Uh, he was from season one, remember, first episode, really, where remember Mando was like, I can bring you in warm, I can bring you in cold. And he actually turned out to be kind of a really funny comedic character as well and useful. But anyway, so Cara Dune and Grief Karga um, sees that he's like unfrozen from carbonite because <laughs> he brought him in in the first season. And Grief and Kara ask Mando to help him help them destroy a base that's being controlled by Moff Gideon. So here comes up Moff Gideon's name again, who's really, as we've seen even from season one, been really a force here for the Empire. Um, so this area is like powered by a reactor and his troops are controlling this base on this planet. And Grief tells uh, Mithril Mineral Fish Guy. What's his name? Please explain. <laughs> Mithril. You had to write the first time. Yeah. Mithril. Okay, gotcha. So Mithril, if he helps him, he will take a hundred years off his debt. And this kind of becomes an on-playing like theme, which is really yeah, funny, trying to get his help. Let's talk about that. This guy had like 350 years like of servitude <laughs> that he was owed. And so taking off some time is pretty substantial for him. Just because his species lives long, they <laughs> three hundred fifty years—that's that's quite some time. So yeah, Chase is saying that they're they're you know promising to take time off based on good behavior and how helpful he is. It is interesting to think about too. On a side note, uh, um, just the lifespan of these different species we're seeing, right? It, it's really cool how it even plays into fantasy franchises because we see this theming a lot. Even if you look at Albus Dumbledore, like his life wasn't exactly the same lifespan of what normal people have. And I, I think that's just a really cool uh, side note there. But so long story short is they get to this area where this military base, whatever you want to call it, is being controlled by Moff Gideon and they break in and then they wind up seeing this isn't just a military base. This is a fucking lab like some shit is going on and they see something i couldn't tell exactly what it was it was like a creature in a tube what was that thing could you make out what that was oh i could but we're gonna put that for much later on in this episode because <laughs> i got some things we're gonna mention about it so uh yeah stay tuned guys because i believe that's gonna move us forward overall in the star wars universe versus just what we saw in the mandalorian here so i'll i'll leave that alone for now but yes i did note it and i have an idea of what it is badass badass so mando i did like this dialogue here he just goes i don't like this <clears throat> the only reason i bring that up is because when mando says he doesn't like something you know something's fucking bad <laughs> that's just why i want to say that but um so uh it is at this point so mando winds up flying out of the tunnel and they wind up having all these stormtroopers that basically ambush their ass so he's kicking their ass flies out on his own fuck this i'm taking this for myself right shoots all these stormtroopers into like one was really cool like into a lava pit <laughs> which is fucking badass like this volcano pit thing falls down burns his ass up and then uh, at the same time, the rest of the group 
follows out of the gate. So this is like Kara and um, Kara and Grief, Grief Karga. They like follow out the other side of the base out the gate. And from this point, uh, then they're trapped by stormtroopers. And Grief and Kara and Mineral Guy, Mithril, <laughs> the blue guy. Uh, so at that point, um, they wind up like hijacking this big ass land speeder, which looks like a ship. Fucking massive, right? This is cool. It's like a Grand Theft Auto moment to escape out of this base. Uh, so at this point, this is really cool. It kind of reminded me of the old school Han Solo moment when Luke and Han Solo took the guns. So Grief Karga mans the guns and is taking out stormtroopers as you're having this land speed chase. And then after he takes them out, then TIE fighters come down. And you're like, oh shit, how the fuck is TIE fighters? How are they going to be able to take that out? So well, what happens is, thank the Lord. So of course, Mando being smart kicking ass after you have this like you have this one-on-one like kind of fight scene because mando shows up and with the kid on this spaceship the spaceship he was originally having repaired by grief Karga. so you have this full circle moment and then at this point uh then takes out the other tie fighters saves the day right and it was just badass excellent to see Love seeing Mando pilot that fucking ship. And uh, he even looks at the kid and says, not too bad, huh, kid? And <laughs> at this point, at the towards the end of this episode, so Grief is being interrogated by rebels. And it was great. They were trying to play this good cop, bad cop, but he doesn't give them shit. <laughs> Go I will, for it. One second. They were not being interrogated by rebels. They were being interrogated by the New Republic, by that same okay. captain that we saw, that we talked about, Last week in our episode here at Factor Fantasy, uh, uh, Captain Carson, he was one of the ones that had pinned uh, Mando into that one icy planet mm-hmm. that we talked about in episode two of season two. It's the same guy who's interrogating them. So it's from the New Republic, but go ahead and continue on. Got it. Okay, so from the New Republic. So, um, and then the one of the, the guy from the New Republic, one of them hands Cara Dune that metal and tries to recruit her but she refuses um and uh kara of course served on alderaan so this is where i was saying remember i kept messing oberon up alderaan no oberon oberon martell (laughs) but alderaan is where she's from which is that planet in star wars um kara reminds everyone about kind of her past for this moment explaining how she's lost everyone and then that's when he leaves her that big pin, which is kind of an iconic symbol for her. The episode winds up ending with the Empire ship, and a projection comes up in the ship of a general um, as saying that they're tracking a beacon that has been installed. And the general says that an alien will be rewarded, or I called him an alien. But she reports to Moff Gideon and says that they will be ready. So then we're getting ready for this next big uh, kind of big conflict that we're going to have as it builds up for Moff Gideon. Anything you want to add in there? Just a few things I want to add in there, right? So talking about from the very beginning when Mando lands on Navarro and is greeted by Grief Karga and Cara Dune. And you were talking about how like he has the Grief Karga has his mechanics work on Mando's ship. 
what I thought was pretty important is that they made Cara Dune the marshal of the town. And between her and Grief mm-hmm. Karga, they fixed it up well from where we saw it get shot to hell in season one. Because, guys, this is the same place where in season one, that's where they had that big scene, that the iconic ones where they were gunning down that location. They turned it into a whole school. It was beautiful. So they made a school from the cantina, and they dropped the child off there because Grief Karga tells Mando that where he, Mando, and Cara Dune are going is no place for a child, which is that imperial base that Chase was kind of going into not too long ago. Um I think it's kind of cool too. Like, like you already mentioned it. Just gonna retouch on it. That Mithril, he is that little full circle from season one. They trapped him in carbonite. <laughs> he was one of the bounties yeah. that Mando got, but he's working the front desk. Like, he's working for Cara Dune and Grief Karga, like the front desk, like a regular like employee. I thought that was kind of cool. But the thing that that Grief Karga and Cara Dune ask Mando's for a favor is that while they repair the ship, they want him to take out the last Imperial base on the planet, and so they take that speeder out to the base and the plan for them and how they're going to destroy this imperial base is they're they're going to overload the reactor and then from there they're just going to dip out right that was the plan like we're going to get there we're going right. to overload the reactor and then we're going to bounce uh one thing i thought that was really really cool is that i don't know if you guys know too much about the actress that plays cara dune but she uh, gina carano she actually was an mma fighter back in the day like she used yeah. to like fight off of i'm not sure if it was ufc itself or one of their like sub promotions like strike force or um or pride or what it was but i thought it was kind of cool that she kind of used her mma background to choke the first person out uh, like that the, yeah. the first trooper out so i thought that was pretty cool they did a little homage to her background as an mma martial artist i thought that was pretty cool um but then from there the the, the thing that i wanted to mention that wasn't really mentioned is like they disable all security cameras, and Mano tells them they found the heat shaft. They go to that heat shaft, and they make Mithril drain the coolant lines, and then the place is set to blow. That's how they're going to blow, right? That big lava pit that Chase was yeah. talking about. They want to drain the coolant lines to it, so that way it just is too hot, and it just explodes all the way through, and everything gets wiped out. So they have 10 minutes, basically, from the part where Mithril drains the coolant lines to get the fuck out of there, right? And what Chase was talking about, where it kind of turns into a lab, we see those like liquid tanks full of mutated specimens floating around, and then some of them look a little bit like future villains in the Star Wars universe. And I'm going <laughs> to save that for a little bit later, and that's why I, I put that out there. But this is one part that I definitely want to mention that we, we missed over, is this like, Mithril pulls up the transmitter, which brings up a hologram message from Dr. Pershing that was supposed to be to Moff Gideon. It says, We replicated the results of the subsequent trials which also resulted in catastrophic failure. There were promising effects for an entire fortnight, but then, sadly, the body rejected the blood. I highly doubt we'll find a donor with a higher M count, though. I recommend we suspend all experimentation. I fear that the volunteer will meet the same regrettable fate if we proceed with the transfusion. Unfortunately, we have exhausted our initial supply of blood. The child is small, and I was only able to harvest a limited amount without killing him. If these experiments are to continue as expected, we will again require access to the donor. I will not disappoint you again, Moff Gideon. And so basically from that, what we learn is not only is Moff Gideon trying to draw midichlorians from the child, but he intends on injecting it into a living subject. And so far, the, the, the attempts haven't been successful, as we see the subjects in the tank are results of failed experimentation, but it kind of brings up a few questions on what he wants to do with this midichlorian blood. 
Uh, you know, and, and this is kind of a bit of a plot twist, right? Because Mando finds out the transmission is only three days old. Remember, Mando thought that Moff Gideon was dead. Even we talked about this yeah. last week up until this point. We're that we've already covered through episode three. We're halfway through episode four and just now of season two of Mandalorian. And just now Mandalorian is uh, realizing that Moff Gideon's still alive. And that's a really big point there. Um, but uh, yeah, from there, I thought it was kind of cool where they kind of did that big escape that, that Mando goes off in his own way and Cara Dune, Grief Karga, and Mithril go off in their way. The thing that we were talking about that they jumped on was actually called a Trexler Marauder. And that apparently has a yeah. lot of value on the black market that Cara Dune ended up jumping into and bringing them all off. And so, but the, the part I thought was funny is that they flew off that, they ended up getting off the cliff where the stormtroopers shooting at them. And they landed directly on Mithril's speeder, where he even said he didn't want to park his speeder right there. He's like, I don't I have a bad feeling about this. I don't want to park this here. <laughs> and there was a reason why, because they ended up destroying that motherfucker with the, the Trexler Marauder. So I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, the, you, you were talking about when they are kind of having that cool little shootout. Karga uh, gets one of the... They, they, have ended, they, they basically... Before the TIE Fighters come in, the troops are in pursuit. We get some aerial fight action, but they take out the initial troopers. And then the base blows, but not before four TIE Fighters make it out and give chase to Grief Karga, Cara Dune, and Mithril. There was a cool little shootout there. Grief Karga gets one of the TIE Fighters, but when he shoots it down, the rolling of it, like the destruction of the ship he got, end up taking out their guns. And so basically, it was now three TIE Fighters against an unarmed Trexler Marauder, so they're really outgunned, they're outmanned, they have no idea what the fuck they're doing, and that's where, boom, Mano comes in and saves the day with his good-as-new Razor Crest. They fix that thing up to the <laughs> fucking nines. It is a brand-new ship, basically. Um, but yes, and then the only thing I was going to add to that at the end, too, is a couple things, is that our boy Captain Carson from two episodes ago, you know, he takes the report from Grief Karga that Chase was talking about. But Grief Karga ain't no snitch, so he doesn't say nothing about Mando. But it's funny to see how the Outer Rim views the New Republic, even though they're supposed to be, quote-unquote, the good guys. Uh, and then from there, Captain Carson tries to recruit Cara Dune. She's not really for it. He tells her there's something going out there in the Outer Rim and that the Corbels don't believe it. And Captain Carson realizes that they aren't isolated incidents and wants to stop them before it's too late. But he can't do anything without local support. And Cara Dune herself is local support, and that's why he's trying to bring her on there. And that's going to bring up something that's coming, going to come in the future. So I don't want to ruin anything from there. Uh, but I guess she's talking about, she asked if he was from Alderaan. She lost everyone in Alderaan. And then we get that huge Imperial ship in the transmission. We found out that a device has been planted on the Razor Crest. And that mm -hmm. is going to play a big thing coming into the episode that I'm going to take a hold of. And, uh, yeah, she affirms that the sources confirm that Mando is still with the child, to which Moff Gideon says, we will be ready. And yeah, and that basically closes out the episode. But one thing that it closes out the episode was, and I wanted to touch on that Chase didn't, didn't talk about, but I think it's going to be important, especially going forward. The camera kind of pans out into the room, and we see a, like a, a battalion of dark troopers lined up against yeah. the walls. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty important to, to detail before we kind of go into the next episode here, going into episode five is there anything else you want to add before i kind of jump into episode five or did i kind of cover every, all the bases there no man you nailed it take it away cool so now we're going to the mandalorian season two episode five and this is going to be like the big episode right because now we are off of that planet we got our ship repaired we are going to the planet corvus and the forest city of caladon that was mentioned two episodes ago in episode three when bo-katan told mando to go there 
he had to make that pit stop though because his you know his his razor crest was all sorts of shit but now it's you know pristine good as new right so now kind of jumping into mandalorian season two episode five the episode opens with like an alarm gong tolling we have like a city in a state of panic and there's like a huge fight going on outside caladon city walls in the forest and it's really kind of cool and also creepy because we see these blasters shooting red beams throughout the mist and we see this hooded figure cutting them up with two lightsabers we don't really know what's going on it's really interesting and then from that we see all, all that battle scene how it plays out then we see this magistrate and she commands the jedi to show herself and we see this this figure move forward and she pulls her hood down and it's very reminiscent if you guys have watched the clone wars of how she is initially introduced there as well and we get to see Ahsoka Tano for the first time on screen live action in The Mandalorian. It's a big moment for the people who have seen Clone Wars and know what she can do and who taught her. You know, if you guys know that, you guys are going to know a lot about this. So anyways, Mm -hmm. Ahsoka Tano basically demands the magistrate of the city surrender or face the consequences, gives the magistrate one day to to decide and disappears back into the forest. And so we kind of have that weird title sequence, right, that we always get from the Mandalorian episodes. And from there, we cut to Mando and the child arriving at Corvus. The child is like, like there's the, that metal ball is on one of the levers, right? And, he, and the child obviously wants the metal ball. And we start to see a little developmentation of his powers. And we start to see him, like, force unscrew the ball, even though it's kind of far away from him. And it's just, just a metal ball on top of one of the levers that he uses on a spaceship. It's pretty cool. Um... But the Mando, Mando lay, lands the Razor Crest in the forest of Caledon. He approaches the city. The City Watch guard asks him his business and if he's a hunter for the guild. He tells them yes, and they open the gate and let him in. But everyone in the city is terrified. Like, none of the civilians even speak to Mando. That one civilian that even spoke any words was just like, hey, please don't talk to us. Like, we are we're fucked basically like like leave us alone man like we don't want to have any problems like just get the fuck out of here like do what you gotta do and get out like don't talk to us so we get we get an idea that they are under uh heavy uh kind of i don't know if i would say they are they are basically the oppressed right like there is a city ruled by somebody and they want to survive and that's pretty much where it's at so we see that kind of what he walks forward and we see these prisoners on raised platforms and they have these electrical charges that shock the prisoners and even kind of seems kind of a little bit barbaric right these <coughs> going into the inner wall of, of the city they're lined up here and in it's worse than if you've seen you know other productions of where people trap other human individuals you know, talking even as much as Game of Thrones where they were strung up on there outside the walls of Astapor <laughs> and all that. It was very reminiscent of that, but more modern because they had these electrical charges that would shock them, shock the prisoners while they were tied up there. So that was kind of barbaric, right? But anyways, Mando gets through there and, and the magistrate, she wants Mando to kill the Jedi, who we know is Ahsoka Tano. And she thinks he will jump on the opportunity because, and this is something, guys, that we learn here too, and I think this is going to play an important part going forward, the Jedi are the ancient enemy of Mandalore. So she thinks that by hiring him to kill the Jedi, he's going to jump on that because, oh, fuck, we hate the Jedis. Mandalore hates the Jedis, and that's going to play, I think that's going to play a role down the road, this dissension between the Jedi and the Mandalorians. We're going to figure out more about that 
as maybe the, the series goes on. Who knows? But I definitely think that was an important part to detail and highlight. Anyway, she makes a deal with him that if he kills the Jedi, the pure Beskar spear or staff, whatever you call it, is his to keep. And he asks, where do I find this Jedi? So we kind of get this cutscene. He ends out, he like walks out of the, the big wall, the city walls, ends up into the forest outside the city. He's searching for the Jedi. He doesn't know who it's going to be. But she surprises him first, and they start to do a little bit of a battle. And and she whoops his ass. <laughs> Honestly, like in the short <laughs> amount of time that they had, she kind of whoops his ass. And he basically tells her to chill and that Bo-Katan sent him, which is probably a good thing because he was about to get he was about to get wrecked. But so he's like, oh, whoa, 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 hey, 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 hey. I just want to let you know I'm a friend. Bo-Katan sent me to talk to you. Kind of like diffuse that whole situation because Ahsoka Tano was about to give him the business. <laughs> but uh, anyways, <laughs> from there we see Ahsoka Tano inspect the child and we learn that the child's name for the first time, we get a name of the child. We will no longer call him the child here on the show. The child's name is Grogu and that he and Ahsoka Tano can feel each other's thoughts. And the powers there are important to notate because they're going to come up to play bigger later on. So we learn that Grogu was raised at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, which is one of the core planets, and that many masters have trained him over the years. Again, this is something that we talked about last week for our debates, like are other productions going to come into play that Disney Plus is planning? And I believe, and I, this is where I was drawing my knowledge from, is that the fact that we learned that he was trained by many masters over the years. We don't know who those masters were yet, but I think that could come into play with those other productions that we were talking about. Anyways, yep. uh, at the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, Grogu was hidden, but someone took him from the temple, and then his memory becomes dark, and he was lost and alone. Again, talking about Grogu. And Sokotano then tells him that she's only known one other being like this, a wise Jedi master named Yoda. Boom. Fuck yeah. We got an amazing alliteration to or a metaphor to the big bad Yoda who is terrifies everyone else in the Empire. Like the ultimate Jedi that we got to see on screen. We have a little bit of an allusion to him. So shout out again for Mandalorian bringing back stuff from past works and enticing the new audience as well. An amazing job by both John Favreau and Dave Filoni. So anyways, continue on from there. She asks Grogu. She asks if Grogu can wield the Force, and she educates Mando on what the Force is. And she tells him it's an energy field created by all living things, and to wield it takes a great deal of training and discipline. And Mando tells her, like, I've seen Grogu do things that I can't explain. So Mando tells Ahsoka that his task was to bring him to a Jedi, and Ahsoka basically tells Mando that the Jedi Order fell a long time ago. So we're kind of left wondering, like, what's going to really happen between this triangle here, right? We've got Mando doing his thing as, like, the main character of the Mandalorian. We've got Grogu now, who's semi-trained in the Force that we get to see. And then we have Ahsoka <laughs> Tano, who's a Jedi. Like, what's really going to happen here, right? So uh, Mando tells Ahsoka that Grogu needs her help. And Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano agrees to test him in the morning. And she starts by force-moving a stone towards him. And she does that, and he catches it, and she asks him to push it back to her, and he just drops it. He doesn't even try. So what Ahsoka says is she says, she says like, I sense much fear in him. And Ahsoka tells Mando that Grogu has hidden his abilities in order to hide over the years. And that that's a really big part, too. 
So then Ahsoka brings Mando into the training and tries to get Grogu to do it for Mando since there's kind of a comfortability there, right? Mando's the one that saved Grogu from the stuff back in season one and has kind of been his father figure all the way through. So she figured if he's going to do it for anyone and move the stone back, it's going to be for Din Djarin, right? So Mando holds out the ball to the lever from earlier that we were talking about, that thing that he force unscrewed and that kind of got him to really push to use the force. And so... Grogu uses the force and the ball flies right to him. That was great. Then Ahsoka tells Mando that Grogu has formed a strong attachment to him and because of that she can't train him because the attachment to Mando makes Grogu vulnerable to his fears and she tells him that she has seen what such feelings can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight. That's a huge easter egg and I'm not going to give anything away but if you know who Ahsoka Tano was trained by you will know who she is referring to. And that person went on to be one of the worst Sith Lords uh, in the galaxy. So I'll just say that. <laughs> so I won't, yeah. I won't give that away, but I'll say that. <laughs> she said that she will not start Grogu down that path, and it's be- it is best to let his abilities fade. And Mando tells Ahsoka that the Magistrate sent him, Mando himself, to kill her, Ahsoka Tano, but that he did not agree to anything, and that he will help her with her problem if Ahsoka sees to it that Grogu is properly trained. So he debriefs Ahsoka on all of what they can expect to encounter from the defense of the city. He, he asks Ahsoka who the magistrate is, and she like, like what, she tells him, don't underestimate her. We learn that the magistrate's name is Morgan Elsbeth, and her people were massacred during the Clone Wars. And Morgan Elsbeth helped build Imper- the Imperial Starfleet and plundered worlds and destroyed them in the process. And... From there, one of the biggest things that Ahsoka Tano makes it a point is that we have to find a way to free the prisoners that are in that weird electrical charge thing right before the inner city gates. And what Din Djarin responds back to her is says, a Mandalorian and a Jedi, they'll never see it coming. And I thought that was pretty badass. So from there, we kind of get this cutscene and we see the city guards at the top overlooking the forest out of nowhere we get Ahsoka Tano like force jumping onto the city walls just takes out the guards and the alarm gong is like kind of going off in the process and the magistrate and her guards post up by the inner gate near the prisoners they're ready for battle she ends up I remember she's cutting everybody down and she cuts the gong itself in half and it looked really cool because you kind of see like what a lightsaber can do it like it it cuts things but also leaves like a a really heated warm metal-esque area to where you can have an idea that if it cut a body part off, it would staunch the bleeding because it would really form and meld quickly. It's like it's a hot laser, basically. So I thought that was pretty cool that we got to see that. Anyways, she, uh, the, uh, the magistrate and the guards post up by the inner gate that we were talking about. And Ahsoka Tano walks right up to them. And she's clearly outnumbered. And what she does is she grabs inside of her robe and she tosses the piece of Beskar armor down to the ground and tells the magistrate that the bounty hunter failed and she wants information. And she asks again... Where is your master? And the magistrate commands her guards to kill her, and the battle's on, right? So the magistrate, while her guards are fighting and shooting at Ahsoka Tano, she tells the remaining few guards to execute the prisoners, then go to door and go door to door and kill everybody else in the city. And the guards, they're about to follow those orders, about to shoot those prisoners. Then the one civilian that didn't say anything, but like, well, he. He said like very few words, but the one that was even able to speak words, and they were very small words at the very beginning, he runs out trying about to run to save the prisoners. 
But before he does that, Mando himself shows up and takes out the guards. So that guy, we're going to see what happens later on in this episode, but he's got some sort of bravery in him, especially being from this city, and he knows that strangers aren't supposed to talk to civilians, the civilians aren't supposed to talk back to them. He was willing to risk his life to try to save these prisoners. I think that's important to notate. But So Mando and the civilian, they do end up releasing all the prisoners, and Ahsoka herself, in the meantime, while this is all going on, is doing some guerrilla warfare, right? She's picking the guards off little by little while ducking in and out of the alleyways. And I thought this was a really cool uh, flashback. And this is a nod to Rebels. If you guys, you know, we've talked about Clone Wars a lot. We, we've made references to the original trilogy. But we haven't really mentioned the Rebels yet. This is a little wink to the Rebels where we see this little cat-looking thing. And it's actually a Tuka. And Atsuka is one of the things that you will find in Rebels if you haven't watched it. But anyways, the captain of the city guard comes face to face with Mando. He realizes that Mando is on the Jedi side, which he doesn't believe. But like he's like, oh shit, alright, well you're on her side? Great. Like, I didn't ever thought I'd see the day where a Jedi Mandalorian would you know, join foresters. But regardless, <laughs> uh, while they're having that conversation, we get a cutscene to ah- Ahsoka Tano confronting the magistrate. So basically right now we got Mando versus the captain of the city guard. And we're basically going to see who's better with the guns. And on the other side, we've got Ahsoka versus the Magistrate. And we're going to see how the Beskar spear or staff holds up against the lightsabers. So we got to get the best of both worlds going on right here. And it's pretty badass. So we get this really cool, I would call, I'm going to call it a sword fight. I know obviously the Beskar spear or staff and the lightsabers aren't necessarily swords. But it, the movements in which we get to see them in, it's very reminiscent of a classic sword fight. So we get to see this really amazing choreographed fighting between these two ladies, the Magistrate Morgan Elsbeth and the Jedi Ahsoka Tano. And the Magistrate is actually really nimble and is act- is really able to disarm Ahsoka of one of her lightsabers. She had two, dis- Ahsoka had two to start with, yeah. and this Magistrate was skilled enough to disarm her of one of the two lightsabers she had. Yeah. And, you know, obviously after a couple minutes of that, of more fighting, Ahsoka is able to disarm the Magistrate of the Beskar Spear Staff, what do you want to call it? And from there, the captain of the city guard is like, oh, sounds like your person won. And he goes to lay <laughs> down his gun and surrender. And he, But what it ends up doing, he ends up playing Mando false. And while he puts it down and surrender, he goes and tries to grab the back of the gun out of his back belt loop or whatever it is way back there. But Mando is ready for it. He's too slow. Mando shoots and kills him. Boom. It's like that old western who's fat, <laughs> who's the faster gun and draw. And Mando showed that guy there's levels to this shit. So... The, the civilian that, that was the one that was able to say a few words and talking, he walks out of there. He actually saves Mando's life, believe it or not. Mando didn't see one of the lone last guards at the top of the roof about to shoot him until the civilian yelled, behind you. And then Mando turns around quickly and shoots the guard in the head. So he ends up getting that, the, the droid guard there. But that civilian has done a lot. And he's about to be rewarded for all he has done for the city in a second. And I'll get there when I get there. But... Ahsoka Tano has the Magistrate dead to rights, has this lightsaber against her, and demands the information again. She says, Now tell me, where is your master? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? And if you guys know who Grand Admiral Thrawn is, that's another Clone Wars reference. That is going to be a big foreshadow, and I will leave it at that. But then, the sh- <laughs> you know, as we kind of get away from there, because she doesn't give her an answer, right? We don't see an answer on screen. The city starts cheering as Ahsoka Tano and Mando exit the city. 
and that one civilian that was super helpful to everyone he ends up getting promoted to be the leader of the Caledon right there the Caledon city the one that was able to speak some words and do all that stuff and try to help he is now the new leader and he's a new I don't know if they call it magistrate because I don't think they want to use the same word as the person that ruled over them so viciously but he's now the new leader of that city regardless um, Ahsoka Tano then gives Mando the best scar, spear, staff, whatever you want to call it. Mando goes back to his ship to get Grogu, and Grogu's sleeping in a hammock. And Mando tells Grogu it's time to say goodbye. So we kind of get this emotional, you know, connection. We see how it's growing over the years. And Mandalorian is supposed to be like ruthless bounty hunters, really, honestly. And he's obviously shown some sort of attachment to this new creature, but. Ahsoka Tano actually ends up showing up near the ship instead of him bringing Grogu back to the city and she tells Mando that she cannot train Grogu and Mando is a bit annoyed because she made him a promise and he held up his end but she tells him another possibility she tells him to go to the planet Tython where he'll find the ancient ruins of a temple that has a strong connection to the force she tells him to place Grogu on the seeing stone at the top of the mountain and then Grogu may choose his own path and if he reaches out to the force there is a chance a Jedi may sense his presence and come searching for him, but she warns him there aren't many Jedi left. And so Mando thanks her, gets back on his ship with Grogu and flies off, and it ends off with Ahsoka Tano smiling up at the ship and walking off into the forest. And so, again, we kind of get this weird part, you know, we're finishing off with this episode 5 here in season 2, where Mando kind of gets yanked around a little bit, right? Bo-Katan yeah. sent him to go see Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka Tano is now sending him to go see the Seeing Stone on this planet Tython. Like, it's, it almost seems like a never-ending of where do I take this fucking child, man? Like, where do I take Grugu? And uh, I, it's going to come up into play much later on. But that is kind of where episode five, you know, closes out. Did you have anything you want to add to it? No, just on a side note, one thing I think that would be really cool to see, it's very interesting because like on this show, we talk about just what we consider canon and, and mainstream and George Lucas is alive. Like he's, you know, just like JK Rowling. So it's not like a, a franchise that's ended and they're just throwing shit from nowhere. But it is interesting. Like that's why we don't bring up a lot of the books on the show because it has different writers and stuff. One thing they did come out with that was very interesting, it wasn't from George Lucas, but it was a backstory on Thrawn. And it talks about, I haven't read it, I've just seen main points, but about the uh, people he betrayed to rise through the ranks. And I think that would be really cool to see on screen, like how he rose through the ranks and the people he betrayed to build up his army. So I thought that'd be really cool. Another side note, Fucking shout out to my boy, <laughs> Oberyn Motel. Fuck yeah, last time we saw this motherfucker with a spear, he was fucking taking on the mountain. So I'm just throwing that out there. Finally, he's got the ultimate weapon back. Let's make this shit happen, baby. I don't know if that was an Easter egg to Game of Thrones. It'd be cool if it was, is why they decided to use the spears there. But I just thought it was cool to finally see my boy back with the spear in his hand. What's cool about that, too, is we got to see in that fight between the Magistrate and Ahsoka Tano that the Beskar, pure Beskar, can withstand yeah. like a sword fight with lightsabers. Lightsabers. Like, lightsabers cannot cut through the Beskar spear. So yeah. I thought that was really cool and it's important to notate. With that being said, man, I'll let you go ahead and take us through Episode 6. Yeah, man. Episode 6. Badass. Uh, so... 
Mando, I thought this was cool. This is where, like, this show really builds, like, an emotional attachment to me because Grogu is adorable. <laughs> like, Mando keeps trying to use his name to get him more respond to, like, the Grogu name. So I thought it was good. And uh, that little ball, like, he's, like, playing with the ball. I thought it was, like, a claymore or something. What was that thing? No, it was just a little metal ball that was... Uh, if you guys ever use a shifter... If you ever customize your vehicle and instead of having the normal thing that you hold on to while you shift, you ended up customizing it and putting your own thing on it. That's very similar to what this lever was. Okay. This lever had like this, these grooves into it and this ball screwed onto it and so it was easy to, to maneuver to whatever that lever was necessary for. But Grogu wanted the ball itself off the top of that and was able to force unscrew it from the lever. And so that's all that it was. It wasn't anything special. Gotcha. Wouldn't it be badass, though, to show, like, his power? He's just playing with, like, a grenade. <laughs> that would have been badass. But no, it was, it was cool. But one thing he talks to him about, and this is where I think, this is a big point I bring up, and it's just a small little piece of dialogue, but it shows a point. I think this is part of the reason why Mando was originally attached to him and wanted to kind of be dragged all over the place like we're doing, because I think he has a lot of respect for him. And he tells him, I can't train you. You're too powerful. And that's pretty amazing to realize. One of the most, you know, wanted assassins out there is even like, you're too powerful. Like, to a child. Like, literally has been referred to as the child, Grogu, is is this most wanted bounty hunter is referring to him as, I can't train you. Like, there's nothing I can do. You're too powerful. So they head to Tython to find a Jedi to train him um, by using the Jedi temple uh, to contact one of them. And what was so cool was I do like this part. Basically, he (laughs) tells him, you know, you're too small (laughs) to fly over that rock. So we're going to have to go with the windows down. (laughs) And you see them jetpacking using like the classic Mandalorian armor with the jetpack and flies over to this ancient rock that looks like damn Stonehenge. It was badass. Um, and he, he even makes a, a comment that was really funny, and he goes, uh, does this look Jedi to you? <laughs> like almost like I brought you in to do some, do some Jedi things. Like I don't know anything about it. What do you think? Like does this look Jedi to you? <laughs> So they get there, and as they're there, though, and he puts them on the rock, nothing's quite happening yet, and a ship arrives. And uh, then all of a sudden, right at the worst timing ever, Grogu starts using the Force, and you have this massive Force shield around Grogu because he's attempting to try to contact whoever's out there. And the person arrives, and you find out, you don't know exactly who it is yet, but you find out he claims he's the rightful owner of the marshal's armor so full circle moment back to episode one that green classic armor that we know is bubba fett so we're wondering who this is long story short we find out it's bubba fett and i called her then he recognized the girl from season one fennec is that her name fennec fennec yeah fennec shand fennec shand yeah and um, he, she just, they thought Finnick was dead, but she describes how Bubba Fett uh, saved her. And Bubba Fett goes into, that was his father's armor, Django. Like, even further confirming this is Bubba. 
long story short so we have this massive ass badass action scene all of a sudden stormtroopers arrive on these ships out of nowhere it's like a fucking army of them we got like two two three ships of these damn things they're coming off and you have fennec that's just picking them off with her sniper rifle thing you have the air turrets you have this massive turret that's there that's just like unloading on stormtroopers and shit uh fennec rolls down like a boulder and takes off like the stormtrooper that's using the turret to like go after him so you have this all-out battle that's going on and then this is where you really see like bubba fett start to kick ass he doesn't have his armor at this point and it's like you can see kind of his age but he takes off this it almost looks like a lead pipe hook and beats ass with it man taking out the stormtroopers one-on-one with this hook and um and then all of a sudden you have mando he's like trying to get grogu to finish up he's even saying you know try to be quick like <laughs> almost done yet like as these stormtroopers are unloading and he's like telling him you know i'll try to keep buying some time and uh mando and fennec team up and wind up taking out an entire battalion when they're like backed against the corner and then all of a sudden bubba fett saves them in this iconic green armor he's put back on and then just kicks their ass and the biggest like iconic moment here of this battle is he uses that missile and the jetpack the classic bubba fett armor shoots it it hits a ship and takes out another ship and he even tells mando that wasn't what i was aiming for and takes out two ships at one time all of a sudden then we kind of have this moment where where we saw before full circling around again to where we saw it pan out and you see the dark troopers Moff Gideon has ordered the Dark Troopers to engage, to go get Grogu, as he's finally finishing up this force from contacting whoever is out there, and he's just exhausted. So he's sleeping on this tiny little rock, and then they jet down the Dark Troopers, which are kind of like, almost like Iron Man suits, but evil, and kidnap him. Bubba Fett, because uh, he's in debt, he claims how he's in debt to mando um not even at this point but goes and flies with the ship he came on to try to go after these dark troopers to go rescue grogu but at this point he notices that the ship the ship that we see is moff gideon's ship he says the empire's back i can see the imperial cruiser with my own eyes Mando then at this point, because they know Grogu's out of their reach, goes and is looking. Uh, you kind of have this emotional scene because you know he's really attached to Grogu like a father figure. Finds the ball that he gives him and you know shit's about to go down, go down where he's going to go try to get them. Bubba tells him, uh, this is where he confirms, he pulls up this like uh, projection where it shows the coating on the armor and he confirms to him you know he's not lying about this armor it's his and his gene code is actually programmed into the armor and this is when Bubba and Fennec tell Mando that until the child Grogu is returned because he helped them he he is in their debt Mando needs some help so he goes and contacts and goes and meets with Cara Dune to locate Mayfield who is uh, a prison sharpshooter 
that has the ability to locate Moff Gideon's light cruiser. Um, at this point, Moff Gideon tries to approach Grogu back on his ship. And this is that badass moment where Grogu's just not fucking having it. And he's kicking ass with the Force, which we haven't seen him use a lot of at this point. And he's just throwing stormtroopers around left and right, wall by wall. And uh, Moff Gideon, at this point, uh, like makes him tase him, basically, with this electrical... Um, gun and then tells him to put him in shackles uh, and, and Moff Gideon is laughing because he realizes this is exactly what they came for this is exactly the power they were looking for and uh, it shows Grogu is not an imposter it's actually him um, and then Moff Gideon shows Grogu the dark saber and then all of a sudden you have the stormtroopers uh, put Grogu to sleep at that point and in shackles and the episode cuts. Is there um, anything else you wanted to add to that? There's a few things I just wanted to add, just because I thought that they were important to the storyline that I wanted to mention. The very first beginning that you were talking about when we see Mando and Grogu in the Razor Crest heading towards Tythos, like, we, we got to get an idea of the deep bond between the two of them, right? Mando was getting a little sad realizing mm-hmm. that their time together may be coming to an end. He's trying to, like, like, convince himself and Grogu like hey this is for the best like I'm getting you back to your people this is what I was supposed to do it's almost like he's trying to convince himself that this is the right move and I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty important um, but when we kind of get back on to Tythos and we get where Grogu is on the seeing stone and Mando tries to get to Grogu through the force field it actually throws Mando back and not just once a few times yeah. so we kind of see the strength of what the force is able to do and because it's not like Mando's uh, like you know some weak you know secretary or anything like that he's a massive <laughs> yeah. warrior a bounty hunter of the of the galaxy right and it throws him back um and this is the thing we were talking about when that we see this new ship arrive this guy tells mando he's been tracking him for a long time and boba fett we figured out it was his final name is he confronts mando and takes down his hood and tells him he's here for the armor and mando mistakenly thinks he's talking about the armor that mando himself is wearing the best guard and that's where he says, this is an iconic quote, he says, I don't want your armor. I want my armor that you got from Cobb Vanth on Tatooine. It belongs to me. And that was pretty badass, especially for our old Star Wars fans. So yeah. Mando asks Boba Fett there if he's Mandalorian and if he's taken the Creed. And Boba Fett tells him that the armor was his father's, which is a nod to Jango Fett way back in the prequels. That was really cool. Yeah. And now it belongs to him. And so Mando kind of asks him, like, what's to stop me from shooting you where you stand right here? And Boba Fett tells Mando he's got a sharpshooter in the ridge with a locked scope that will unload by the time Boba Fett's body hits the ground. But Mando doesn't really care too much because he's wearing Beskar. But Boba Fett tells him, like, you're not the target. Yep. Like, like Mando is, like, the, the, like, the shooter is going to take out Grogu. Like, like fuck you. Like, we're not, ta- we're not focused yeah. on you. And so that's uh, where we get the crazy over-the-radio thing. Where we yep. get a blast from the plat, a blast from the past, where we hear, and if you don't remember, I don't miss. So we got that full circle moment. Fennec Shan is back in the mix from season one, where she was presumed dead, and that's where we saw like legs walk up to her fallen body. Like we know now who those legs were back in season one. They were Boba Fett's legs, right? Uh, but anyways, they they all lay down their weapons simultaneously. I thought this was a pretty cool dialogue between the three of them. Fennec Shan tells Mando, "You look like you've just seen a ghost," and Mando replies. 
you were dead. To which Boba Fett says, she was left for dead on the sands of Tatooine, as was I. But fate sometimes steps in to rescue the wretched. And Fennec Shan says, in my case, Boba Fett was that fate. And then she like lifts up her shirt, and then we see this kind of machine thing keeping her stomach moving and what's kind of really keeping her alive and it's really interesting but that's when we got you, know, you were talking about where he pulls up the code Boba Fett tells Mando that the armor was given to him by his father Jango by the Mandalorian's forebearers and he proposes this deal where Mando gives him the armor back and in, in exchange Boba Fett will guarantee the safety of Grogu and Mando and so that's when we have those cool battle scenes that Chase was taking us into between all three of them, right? Mando up at the top, Fennec Shan shooting down the stormtroopers, Boba Fett using that cool little stick thing that he was using, taking people out. But we see while Boba Fett's taking out these stormtroopers, he looks at the Razor Crest before it gets destroyed. And there's a reason why he looks directly at the, the, this Razor Crest. And so we get back to Mando, who's trying to get, again, to get to this force field. He to get Grogu to get them the fuck out of there, and he can't. He throws him back once more. So like Chase said, he's like, we buy him some time. He goes and join the fight down below. Uh, from there, like Fennec and Manda go back to back, and they take out as many as possible. But they're super heavily outnumbered. Then all of a sudden, a bomb gets thrown at the stormtroopers, and it detonates. And then we see something land on the ground. And when the smoke clears, it's Boba Fett back in his old armor. And that is the coolest part, right? Like, what a moment for the original Star Wars fans to see Boba Fett back in his old armor, like, saving the day. I thought that was really cool, even though he was a bad guy in the original trilogy. He kind of plays a protagonist role here. But going forward from there, to talk about what Chase was saying, that we see, you know, these new ships coming down after Boba Fett takes out the original ships. They've got dark troopers on them. Uh, this This... The Imperial ship comes down and shoots a laser. And this is one thing that I wanted to mention that Chase didn't talk about. It destroys the Razor Crest. It blasts the Razor Crest into a million trillion different pieces. It's gone. Like there's nothing left of the Razor Crest. Uh, well, nothing except one thing that we'll they'll talk about in a second. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like like the Dark Troopers close in around Grogu, grab him, and fly back to Moff Gideon's ship. But if I had a clear shot at them to try to get Grogu back, but Mando calls him off because he doesn't want Grogu to get hurt in the off chance that he misses the shot. And yep. so Boba Fett does a loose follow instead, and he sees Moff Gideon's ship, and then we get this really badass quote. Boba Fett says, They're back. Fennec Shan replies, Who? To which Boba Fett responds, The Empire. They're back. I just thought that was really fucking that was cool. So, uh, and Fennec really doesn't believe it because, again, the Outer Rim is under the jurisdiction of the New Republic. But we were talking about last week that things go on in the Outer Rim that not everyone is privy to because the core plants don't really know what's going on around the Outer Rim. Uh, and that's when the Imperial Cruiser jumps into hyperspace and takes off with Grogu. So now Mando has kind of lost the child and also his ship. It's a really tough day for him. But again, now the full circle from what I was saying, there's one thing left from the Razor Crest, the Razor Crest ship's destruction, and that has the Beskar spear staff. And it's kind of unharmed. And we get, again get to see that Beskar is something special. This, this material of Beskar is really something special. And uh, then, then that's where Boba Fett shows Mando the chain code that's been encoded in his armor for 25 years. He shows Mando his father Django's code too and Mando asks if 
Jang if Boba Fett's father Jango was a foundling, to which Boba Fett replies, "Yes, he even fought in the Mandalorian civil wars," and that's yeah. going to be a big part going mm -hmm. forward that I definitely want to mention there. And and Mando agrees at that point. Hey, he tells Boba Fett the armor belongs to him, and Boba appreciate Boba Fett appreciates his return. Boba Fett also tells Mando the deal is not complete. The child was taken, and until the child is returned to Mando's safety, he and Fennec Shand are in Mando's debt, and so they fly off together in Boba Fett's ship. And uh, that's when they land back in Navarro, and we see Cara Dune did in fact accept that offer that we talked about last week from Captain Carson to make her a marshal of the New Republic. And as Chase was talking about, Mando asks her to locate a prisoner card called Mayfeld who was an ex-Imperial sharpshooter who was apprehended near the Dillistry system on a derelict prison ship. And she finds him in the system, and his full name is Miggs Mayfeld, and he's serving 50 years in Carthon Chopfields for springing a prisoner himself. And he was an accessory to the death of a New Republic officer, to which Mando replies that they need to spring him free to locate Moff Gideon's light cruiser. And he tells her at that point, because she wasn't about to do it, and he's like, they have the kid. And that's when yeah. we get that cutscene that Moff Gideon's cruiser's up there. He walks to the ship where they've got Grogu prisoner, and Grogu's fucking up all the stormtroopers with the force, like Chase was talking about, throwing around like ragdolls. <laughs> but he finally overexerts himself and tires out. And uh, Moff Gideon, this is another part I thought that was really important. He approaches Grogu and activates a Darksaber, and he asks Grogu if he's ever seen this before from years past. And that is going to be really important going on into the future. But... Uh, that's when Moff Gideon, as Chase had mentioned, has one of the stormtroopers knock Grogu out with a stun shot and has them put Grogu in shackles. But this is a really cool quote here to close out the episode is, when we come out of a hyperspace, send an encrypted message to Dr. Pershing. Let him know we have got our donor. And the episode yeah. with the camera pans out with Grogu unconscious in shackles with some sort of electrical charge on those shackles. So you can only assume he's not going to be able to use the force. And that is kind of where we close out with episode six there. So go ahead and kind of give me your takeaways and what you felt about the, these last three episodes we just talked about, episodes four, five, and six in Mandalorian season two. I mean, it just never ceases to impress me. Um, even the big episode, you know, the, the really big episode with Ahsoka taking on the magistrate. And of course you had Mando against the captain there. Um, it still was badass uh, with those full circle moments of Bubba Fett. And then they took on that entire army. So it's not like it had no action at all. You kept thinking this was going to be like a slower episode after we just had this big climactic moment. And it just kept, you know, it stayed on that pace. So I was really impressed with it. It's one of those. What I'll say about this series is it's great because it's, yeah, it's a lot of detail where it dives you into this universe, but it's not like it gets so complicated. You can't understand it. So it's a really fun ride. And it's uh it's an emotional roller coaster really because you know, just like Mando is being thrown all over the place, uh and, and you keep feeling like at some point like this is the end for these two. They're still on the same journey they've been since season one just trying to get Grogu back home uh, or where he belongs or to be trained and find out about his past so you still have that sense of mystery and connect uh, with the characters on this epic tale uh, it, it's great so um, you know still an A plus in my book what about you man 
I'm right there with you. Like, you would think there would be some filler episodes. The only filler episode that I've found in Mandalorian as a whole so far has been the second episode of season two that we talked about yeah. last week with, like, the ice spiders. But even still, that had a role to play. And what we're really seeing here, like, think about it. What we saw in episode four, they go back to the planet Navarro, like, rekindle old relationships with people that are going to need in the future. They take out an Imperial base, which turns out it wasn't abandoned. Like, they're trying to do a lab experiment, which is going to possibly play a huge role forward. And then we go into episode five, where we get a Jedi for the first time on screen, and who knows how long since, because obviously... The, the the time frames are different, right? We talked about this last week. The Mandalorian comes into the uh, the the time gap between after the Empire fell, after Return of the Jedi, in between that, and then the new trilogy of Force Awakens. So, you know, if we're going by that time frame, and we're talking about all these you know Jedi's falling and the Empire going, and no one knows where the next Jedi is going to come from. We have one on screen immediately, Ahsoka Tano, who is really, really important, especially if you guys have watched Clone Wars, you'll know who trained her, you'll know why <laughs> she's so important to the mix of everything that's going on. And so that, you know, episode four starts out really exciting there with, you know, reconning all relationships and taking down an Imperial base. Then it only goes higher into where, you know, Ahsoka Tano gets introduced as a Jedi and they take over the city of Caladon and the, and the planet of Corvus. Then from there, you think it's going to slow down after we get introduced to a Jedi? Oh, no fucking way, it doesn't. What ends up happening is my prediction from season one comes true. If you guys go back and listen to what we said on our podcast show of season one of Mandalorian, I said two things were going to happen. Number one, Grogu is going to develop his abilities more and more and kind of get a mastery over them. And number two, at one point in time, he is going to be captured. And that is exactly yeah. what yeah. happened in this last episode, episode six, Grogu is captured now by Moff Gideon and whatever's left of the Empire. And so now we're kind of in this weird limbo of, oh fuck, like what's gonna happen now? Like it, it was just, it, it, it never went down. Like, you know, it started here, it went here, and it went here, right? So we had like the, the, the destruction of the Imperial base while getting a ship fixed with his old friends in Navarro, which is pretty cool, a little bit of a step up from where episode three was. Maybe you can even consider a step down if you really enjoyed the reintroduction of the Mandalorians from episode three last week that we talked about with Bo-Katan and the other ones. If you really kind of consider it a step down, fine. But I would like I would kind of put an argument that it could potentially be a step up when you talk about the fact that now he's got his ship back in order where it's supposed to be. They took out another Imperial base, found that it wasn't actually abandoned, and there's other like experiments that are going on that are going to play a bigger factor later on so that in my mind that's a step up then from there another step up into where we get introduced to a jedi then another step up when grogu gets kidnapped so it's like there's no real downslide of anything in this season it was just to where we are now and i know next we're going to close it out with episode seven and eight and that's not a problem i'm not going to give anything away but the fact of the matter is through three episodes of last week that we did and three episodes of this week that we currently have done, there's been nothing but action, like thought-provoking processes and things that have brought together old fans and new fans together. It's just they've done so well with it that that's really my main takeaway. I'm really impressed with where it has gone so far and how they have handled you know, leaving things off on cliffhangers, but also never 
backtracking and making it. Like, there's never an episode going forward that I would say was worse than the previous episode. And I just yeah. there's not a lot of things that we can say to that, right? Like if we're talking about Game of Thrones, like season four, episode one of yeah. Game of Thrones was worse than season three, episode nine of The Red Wedding, right? Like that was a big climactic mm-hmm. moment and it's going to drop off a little bit from there. It's got to, right? But like from here, it's just it just yeah. keeps going up and up and up. And then, then we got these next two episodes that are about to, you know, next week we'll talk about. No spoiler alerts now, but that are going to blow our mind here. So... I'm just super impressed with the way that this was gone about and how it has progressed from, you know, no one knew when Mandalorian came out in terms of season one, what it was going to be like, but it's this quasi spaghetti Western filled with space aliens and just, it's really badass and it's got a great plot line and a storyline that follows through and it very much could, as we talked about last week, tie in to future productions that they're going to put out. And so that's that's what I have to say on, on it before I get to our debates. Did you have anything else you want to add before we get to those? No. Well, uh, I feel like for the next episode we'll do that'll come out next week, we'll tell you out the end after we give the summaries what those future productions are that could be coming out. <laughs> so, uh, which is great because we, I love getting to live in this star wars universe and that's what's so fantastic here at chase and josh factor of fantasy is we have uh, a problem that no one else has a problem of and it's we have an endless amount of material really until the day we die and uh luckily you know just based on you guys and how following all your follows and engagement subscribe reviews everything that's what we love here is is you keep us going and we get to live in this realm that we love to live in because we're both big kids that really never grew up (laughs) which is great but yeah that's what i'd say to that but let's get into the fun section of the show fuck yeah sounds like a plan (laughs) man how about you go ahead and kick us off with our first debate you do your debates i got two on my end go ahead and give me what you got Okay, let's see. Uh, so I guess uh, I guess I'll play the great debate card, baby. Power level over nine thousand. Fuck yeah, fucking slay, man. This is a tough one. This is a tough one because hmm, this is a tough one. Okay, let's let's make it easy for this one. Let's make it easy, and then I'll come. I'll have another one that's a little bit more serious. Ahsoka Tano at her prime. Uh, you know, no, we're gonna make this easy. Ahsoka Tano as she was training, as she was training against, and she is a Jedi, so she has all the powers of a Jedi, but against Mando Oberyn motherfucking Martell himself with the spear who are you taking and why i'm taking ahsoka tano seven days a week all day every day and twice on sundays like I don't... during training bro training i understand uh, uh, well, if at her peak well like we're talking about the mandalorian and where we saw her at and where she was right now like you're, if you're bringing up stuff in the past like I, it's hard for me to talk about during training during an apprenticeship like who knows but like the fact of the matter is like if we're going to talk about what we saw on screen in the Mandalorian, which is what we're talking about here today, that Ahsoka Tano right there that we saw in episode five, she whoops Mando's ass 
10 times out of 10. Like, you got even got the seal of it. They had a little bit of a quarrel or a thing, but he didn't have the best car spirit at the time. Fine, no worries. At the same time, Sokotano not only is an expert with a lightsaber, and I don't want to give this away yet, so I'm not going to, but we know who trained her. And he happens to be the, uh, I will give a <laughs> teaser, he happens to be the individual with the highest midichlorian count ever registered. So, like, she was trained <laughs> by someone who, who knew what they were doing, right? And, you know, so if we're talking about Ahsoka Tano of who we see in The Mandalorian, there's no shot that Mando beats her. No shot at all. I'll say you can try. (laughs) I don't know, man. This is tough because here's my problem, dude. You go back to what happened. She barely beat the magistrate. And if it goes down to Mando and the magistrate, I'm taking fucking Mando all day. Mando has guns, bro. Yeah, I get lightsabers can stop guns. Can you stop a fucking flamethrower? He can burn her ass. And now he has a fucking spear to go along with it? That's just tough for me, man. He's over in fucking Martell. The way he fucking moved that day was beautiful. You're talking about a guy that could take on the fucking mountain. He's been hired. He's an assassin fucking killer. They didn't even know Jedi's exist. If you go back in fucking Mandalorian lore, right... Mandos have always been at war with the Jedi, which means there have been Mandos that have killed Jedi. It's just the way it is. You might have to have to be a little bit more smart about it, play a little bit from the distance, but I'm taking my boy all day. You know why? Because I'm fucking biased. <laughs> That's why. I think she would make a mistake. He could shoot that fucking lightsaber off. I don't want to go into it because we're not giving anything away. But I feel like he could wield one of her lightsabers like he winds up wielding something else. <laughs> we're not giving anything away. And I think he would chop that little bitch's head off. <laughs> Excuse my language, but I, I get it 100%. And if she did use the force, I think it wouldn't be much of a contest at all. I just feel like Mando... He's got, he's the man. He's the fucking Viper, baby. And he would fucking blow that little bitch's head off (laughs) before she ever got to wield that lightsaber. Maybe burn her to smithereens. Maybe give her, maybe make her look like somebody. Maybe you make her look like one of her old predecessors after you burned her ass, burned her face a couple times. (laughs) But, uh, you know, man, that's what I got to say about that. Uh, let's think of a, oh, another. De- I'm not. Oh, yeah, I'm go not, for it. I'm not done with that. I want to keep Fine, talking go about for that it. because Fucking you mentioned sad. it yourself. <laughs> you, you, the thing that you mentioned is like she, you said that she had a hard time against the magistrate. Well, there was a big factor of what she's able to do that she did not use against the magistrate at all, which is the force. And the fact of the matter is that she did not use the force there, and if it came to it. And she's able to use that. There's no shot in hell that Din Djarin's doing a single thing, right? Like in a in a straight off like sword fight, maybe it could be close. It's possible, right? Like you know, whether it be spear versus lightsaber, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you have a whole nother ability to use that Mando is not 
privy to and yeah. has no chance at using, right? So, you know, I, I think, and on top of that, we we know who Ahsoka Tano was trained by, and there is, to me, a, a, an orphan child that had to make his way in alone into the world and kind of built himself up to where he is now. No disrespect against it. Love it. Very much reminds me of ourselves. Uh, there's no shot that he's taking out a, a fully trained Jedi. It's not going to happen. So like maybe oh, like well. maybe certain Mandalorians could against certain Jedi's that may be a lower rank, not Ahsoka Tano. So Ahsoka, for me and my end to the my end to that debate, my viewpoint is Ahsoka Tano whoops Din Djarin's ass ten times out of ten, seven days a week, twice on Sundays. Well, here fine. Here we're gonna spice it up a little bit. Well, one, first of all, I I, I think you're on to something, but at the same time I think you forget yeah, Soko uh, can use the force who said she would two mando's a fucking assassin motherfucker can fight dirty if he wants to kill a fucking couple of hostages he would and i just can't see ahsoka doing that unless she with her fear that she's brought in based on what she said unless she uh took a little qualities from the person that trained her want to get a little dirty on it but here's my point okay fine let's even toss it up a little notch you have Ahsoka versus Grogu that hasn't been trained in a while. And Mando. Do you think it would come down to Grogu would defend Mando? I mean, that's a situation that would never happen, right? <laughs> like, Jedis normally don't fight each other unless one's on the dark side. So, I don't He had really fear see... in him. He had fear. Sure, sure. <laughs> right? Like... It's possible. At the same time, Sokotano is very well trained and has been methodically trained. Grogu was only in the beginning of his training when he was hidden, as we were told in episode five. Mando has already find it found it difficult to navigate the world on its own. And he was beaten. I will say this, he was beaten by Sokotano. She caught him by surprise. She did. But he was the first one to be like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, I was sent here by uh, Bo-Katan. Like, we're good, right? Like, he did not want any of that smoke. Like, he realized really quickly <laughs> that he was well outmatched by her. So, if you're talking about other Jedis at a lower caliber, maybe. But you asked me between Din Djarin and Ahsoka Tano, and again, I, I don't see, even with Grogu involved in it, with the powers he has right now, where he's at today as we speak, I don't think it's much of a contest. I think Ahsoka Tano gets the job done. Which, you know, it sucks, is I really wanted to defend my boy Oberyn <laughs> Mando here. But I got to give it to you with this quote. Just like I even said, he even told Grogu, you're too powerful. But fine, then we're going to fucking kick it up a notch. Debate number two, motherfucker. <laughs> Debate number fucking two. Let's go. Let's Let's take it back. <laughs> let's take it back we can bring it back do you think i if it's me because it would you okay this is a two-part question so i want to know your answer to this first before you get into the debate do you think at this point in the timeline ahsoka is the most powerful jedi out there is she the only jedi out there because we haven't gotten into Rise of Skywalker and all that shit. So is she the only one there, you think? 
No, we know she's not because of what happens at the end of season two of Mandalorian that we're not going to give away right now. We know she's not the only Jedi out there. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I will say that she is one of the most powerful. Um, I would say there's maybe three or four other Jedis. I don't want to talk about them quite yet, but she is one of the most powerful for sure, in my opinion. I don't know how she stacks up against the son of a certain Jedi. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I will say that she has got to be included in the top two, maybe three of all Jedi's that exist left. Cause she's not the only one left. We know there's at least, we know there's at least three others outside of Ahsoka Tano for a fact. Um, but that's all. That's why I'll leave it at. So I have a three part debate for you and this is going to take might take its toll on you because you're going to have to take it one at a time but that's just part of life (laughs) this is why we do this show so embrace yourself embrace debate motherfucker (laughs) so first things first and we're not giving anything away one do you think ahsoka could have taken on moff gideon in his entire army alone and saved grogu if she knew about it or do you think she's not that powerful? Also, why don't you think she, even though she felt like she couldn't train Grogu, given she knows his power, want to go with Mando and help find and contact the Jedi with him? Like, why don't you think she wanted to aid him on this journey at all? Two part. And then we'll get into the third part here. Which is, if you take the original Sith Lords from episode one, because we've seen that Mandalorian has made a lot of references to the old Star Wars, especially episode one. Do you think she has what she could do? Do you think, based on who she was trained by, which we won't give away, she has the ability to beat Darth Maul? Which, as you know, bringing this back full circle to our fucking live debate that we won when we won top 20 podcasts in the fucking world, your fucking boy Darth Maul, woo, who I said would get his ass kicked by fucking Yoda, but has mastered all the forms, can even throw the saber, don't you think he would kick Ahsoka's fucking ass one-on-one? She would get her fucking ass chopped in half if she was in that moment. And I, I just don't think there's a... In my opinion, I don't think there's an ancient Sith Lord she could go up against that she could take on one-on-one. Whereas the others, there are some out there, which we find out later not giving away, that could. It's all you. I'll answer part two and three, mainly because uh, I don't exactly remember what part one of the question was. <laughs> uh, part two, you asked me, like, why did I not think that she wanted to go with Grogu um, and Mando to make sure that he was trained by the proper Jedi? Uh, because she mentioned to herself, she saw what heavy emotions can do to an individual, right? And like you said, we're not going to give anything away, but she saw what it could do to someone who was very highly touted as potential for one of the greatest Jedis and um, balance bringers to the force of all time that could have been without the emotional attachment to other things and 
unfortunately, because the attachment to the emotional things kind of threw off his uh, equilibrium, if you will. And I'm not going to mention anything other than that. So I think that's why that she didn't want to be involved in that because she didn't. I think maybe the internal part of her was scared that uh, that she would see the same thing happen again, and probably couldn't handle that seeing it all over again. Third part of that question. I take it that you haven't watched the uh, entirety of Clone Wars because we get to see a certain battle between Ahsoka Tano and and uh, a double saber wielding creature called Darth Maul, <laughs> and um, we get to see who. Uh, I will say this: like she can absolutely hold her own against the top of the top. And you know, for those who haven't watched it, go ahead and, and watch Clone Wars, the the animated series. Because unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you view it, a lot of what is shown up in the Mandalorian is things that are derived from those animated series, like Clone Wars and um, Rebels. So uh, we we get to kind of see that in a in a in a bit. So I don't want to give that away for anyone who hasn't seen it, but. I believe Ahsoka Tano can hold her own against the top of the top of the Sith game. But can you remind me again what the part one of your debate was? Because that was the one that I didn't follow deeply. Oh, you're fine. Part one, uh, which we don't want to give anything away for next week. But part one was, do you think if it was just her against Moff Gideon and Moff Gideon's army of dark troopers and everything she could have rescued Grogu on her own. No. I don't think she even knows who Moff Gideon is. And that, like, I might be wrong about that. I could be completely wrong. I could have, like, egg on my face and be the biggest idiot that ever existed. But remember when she grabbed the magistrate and asked where her master, Grand Admiral Thrawn, was? In her mind, mm-hmm. that's the big bad, is Grand Admiral Thrawn. She, I don't know if she even knows about who Moff Gideon is. So, uh, because she doesn't know who he is and what he holds, because like Grand Admiral Thrawn does not have a dark saber, I'll tell you that <laughs> he doesn't have that yeah, at all, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and Moff Gideon yeah. does. Um, you know, it's it's hard to tell, but I don't believe that she could do it all on her own by herself, simply for the fact that like she doesn't know what she's up against. She doesn't know who Moff Gideon is. As far as right now is where we're at. Like, it very much could change going into season three but that's something we don't even get an answer to even to the end of here is season two where we'll talk about next week with episode seven and eight that's something that doesn't get answered there so i don't know if ah- ahsoka tano knows moff gideon exists right it seems like moff gideon is the villain of the mandalores bo katan wants wants moff gideon din Djarin has fought moff gideon i don't even know if ahsoka tano knows moff gideon exists I think that's a really good point. The fact that I don't even know if she'd be able to really track him down because she didn't know where to go. But I think I take the opposite side just as far as abilities based on what we see next episode that we'll get into. But I think if it was her versus dark troopers stormtroopers and moff gideon i think she could kick all their asses i think it would be a pain in the ass but i think she proved it against the magistrate however i think it goes into it really goes into 
how many people can you take on at one time? Just like you saw with Grogu, you know, he was kicking those stormtroopers' ass. Granted, he's a child that's 50, but he also got so exhausted. Like, how much does it take, right? Um, so, uh, to, to your point, like, I don't think she would put herself in that situation, but I think she could. I just think it would, that's tough. I think that goes into a lot of her Metachlorian count and how much she can take but that leads more into next episode which we'll leave you for next week but now it is jay nelly's dirty turn here yeah because it's my dirty turn i'm gonna play (laughs) the dirty tipsy gypsy card on your ass oh my gosh it never ends it never ends sir tipsy gypsy oh yeah you better pour that turvis to the top with that wine. Take it to the head. And I was hoping I will, the cork I will, I will help out. you along the way. Don't get me wrong. I will I help you. The cork I will give you the chance. There. But while that's happening, I am going to give the premise of what my debate is. And while I do that, you're going to take that Not thing down. Not looking forward to this. Not looking forward to so it. So I'll probably have to repeat it after you drink it. But, oh, man. You know what? Fuck it. No, Ooh. we're gonna start here first. Take that thing down. Then I'll give you the situational debate, and I'll go to my second debate on top of that. An entire so. Captain Marvel Turvis. <laughs> Very interesting. Oh man, it gives me chills. You know what's funny was I was hanging out. Shout out to our friend Cassie. We have a good friend Cassie, but I was hanging out with her for Halloween last weekend. She was like, how do y'all have livers? I that listen was, to your podcast. That was two weekends ago, by the way. That was two weeks <laughs> well, ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah, sorry. Two weeks ago for Halloween. But she, all, she's a fan of our podcast here. And she's like, I see y'all use this tipsy gypsy card. I don't even know how y'all have livers at this point. To answer your question, Cassie, we don't even know how we have livers at this point. But we're kind of like Jedi's. We just keep living on, man. May the force be with you. <laughs> okay, and I'm going to get... Oh, dear Lord. As okay, the force get it is started, with man. you, Chase, I want you to start right now. See. Oh, take my glasses Oh, off. he's got to take the glasses <laughs> off. Take my glasses off. Oh. Because that never happens. Now. Be blind anyways. All right. Okay, let's go. Cheers now we you, know sir. it's real. Take that oh. shit down. One, two, do three. Go. See that drink away see that drink away all the way see that drink away see that drink away all the way see that drink away see that drink away all the way hey why are we waiting why are we waiting? Uh, big Chase has to slow Why down. are we waiting? We're waiting because Chase wants to leave. <laughs> Why are the words of Frankenstein? We I want to live. There he is. He's taking the rest of that stuff down. It's about time, man. We had some. I don't know. What's it been about a minute now? Come on, man. He's better than that, Chase. I know. I remember you when you used to take that shit down quickly. And now we're getting old. And now you're just gonna take it little by little. God, don't you don't, don't talk in the microphone. Don't talk until you're yeah. done. Don't you damn talk until Relax, you're done. I'm I, 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 it, sir. I, 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 don't okay, talk, I'm sir. There. Sir, don't talk until you're finished. You better finish that. <laughs> that you better finish that damn cup. That's this isn't White Claw, children. This is peanut green geo. Yeah, well, they yeah. saw me do it last week, no problem. So finish that shit up. That's what all I'm saying. Yeah, you ain't got to talk. Yeah, no talking until you finish it. There it is. Look at him. Oh, shit. 
He's going. He's going. Let's go. Proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. I'm excited to uh, throw. Oh, there it is. And he's finally finished. Look at that. In about an hour, I won't even know. This is why, for all our promos that our photographers take of us, I always have to take before we do the tipsy gypsy because they wouldn't be able to stand me. <laughs> no words. Oh, man. So, okay. My Give me question. My question, and I will play the great debate card here as well oh God, in conjunction Lord. with the Dipsy Gypsy card. Uh, <sighs> my biggest debate, right? There was, we, we got to learn a little bit in episode four about this laboratory experiment with these Metachlorian, or they said M count, but I think we can all safely assume M count means Metachlorian count, right? My question is like, what do you think the M count blood was to be used for? Do you think like Moff Gideon wants to inject the blood into himself once he finds a way to safely transfer from uh, uh, the into a living being, or is he trying to wield the Force in order to strengthen his power, or do you think he's trying to create a new creature to construct a new big bad Sith Lord? That's my first debate. You know, you brought up a really good point earlier, and I wasn't even thinking about this until you were dropping hint bombs over here. Dropping force bombs, <laughs> making my own metachlorian brain <laughs> think about this. It could, and here's my evidence on this. If you go back to that shit movie of what we called Rise of Skywalker, you forget there were tubes and stuff there. So it's one of two things. It's either they're trying to piece it together and you either have Snoke or you have dirty Palpatine being breeded in there. <laughs> Maybe, could be. I don't think there's another way he could come back and they said Metachlorian count. He looked like a damn zombie in the last Rise of Skywalker film. In that tube, I don't know. And we go into Metachlorian counts. And we're starting to talk about people that have Jedi potential. I don't know any bounty hunter that has Jedi potential with Metachlorian counts. I don't know any just random warrior or empire general or villain that has Metachlorian counts. I don't know any peasant besides like Ray, her parents sold her for drinking money that has Metachlorian counts and she wasn't built in a tube. So I think it has to be trying to piece all this shit together. This is fucking Palpatine or Snoke in the tube. And I think I'm going to go with it. I think it's Snoke in the tube. What do you think? Yeah, honestly, I, I agree 100% with you for the one of the first times on all of our debates. Like, <laughs> you know, there's so many things that the midichlorian blood count could be used for, right? And that, that's why I kind of brought up, like, does Moff Gideon want to use it for himself and inject himself with the midichlorian count just simply because, like, once he knows it's safely able to do so, he will be able to use the Force as well as you know his abilities with the dark saber so that's like that was like a, a potential but then we got to see 
what was in those liquid tubes and the lipid, liquid tanks back in episode four here in season two, and it looked very suspiciously like Snoke. And because of that, and what I saw on screen, as much sense as it would possibly make for Moff Gideon to want to use it for himself, I do believe they are gearing up to use these midichlorian blood counts for the next big bad, which, like I mentioned last week, could potentially lead us into the First Order, where we first get an, uh, a, a big look at uh, Snoke. So I'm with you. I think that the end-all be-all of this question is that the midichlorian blood is going to be used to create a new big bad Sith Lord and with all of what we saw in those tanks and how it resembled Snoke I think it's going to come out to be him so that is the end of my first debate uh, before I get into my second debate it looks like Chase, <laughs> it looks like Chase wants to say something oh looks like Chase gets to interrupt your debate before you take it to part two there is this one card that we forgot we invented originally. Last time I checked, this card says, you may play the Malice in the Chalice card anytime during the podcast. May only be used once per podcast host per episode, but when the Malice in the Chalice card is played, the other host most immediately, not after your debate, Finish their thought and give the floor to whatever topic the holder of the card desires. Both hosts must drink. So fill up your fucking cup, Uncle Nelly. I'll fill up mine too because you know what? Today is going to be a good day. Let's get a malice in the chalice, baby. We haven't had one of those in a long time. It's been a minute. I'm excited to see uh, where you're going with this. Malice in the chalice, baby. Malice in the chalice. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, <laughs> it's my, I'm yeah, Have you ever seen that movie, first of all, before I dive into this? Relax. Even though it's Malice in the Chalice, it relates to our Star Wars topic we're talking about here. I just wanted to interrupt you for a minute. Ever seen that movie, The Boys? Not The Boys. That's a That's a show we should cover at some point. But The Good Boys, it's like about those little kids. They were like sipping beer in the in the woods, and he like takes one sip and he's like, "Ooh, I'm already feeling something." <laughs> that's like that's that's Chase over here. That's me when Jay Nelly pulls a tipsy gypsy card. I drink one turbis. I'm like, "Ooh, I'm already feeling something." <laughs> Anyways, so here's what I think would be fucking sick, right? I think, and this hasn't been announced. This isn't something that they've talked about it's not even something on the table just something i think chase from factor fantasy thinks would be badass i think it would be fucking sick if we had an entire series on snoke and like him coming up like what we never found out anything about his powers from all the way to the point of the force awakens in the last jedi it would be sick to see if that is Snoke. Like, what if it was? Like, him to the point of being raised out of the tube, them, like, training him. You could even go into the point of, like, so the video games had a badass apprentice in there called Starkiller. Like, if you had that sort of thing going on, I just think it would be badass to see that as far as Snoke and, like, how he was probably, you know, 
loaned or developed by the Empire to be the badass he was like the next Palpatine and who brought him through the ranks. They could even tie it into something to which we're not giving away, but for someone that trained Ahsoka Tano, it would be fucking badass to see. What do you think about that? I don't know. I wouldn't want to see it. I guess <laughs> you don't want to see shit. <laughs> you don't want to see shit. <laughs> I just don't care enough about it, right? Because like Snoke didn't play any sort of important role in the trilogy that was most recent, right? Like he was there for all of two movies yeah. and barely played a role at all. Like why do I give a fuck? Like he's just gonna die like that? Like why do I? Care? <laughs> like why the fuck do I care about his background? Right? Like that's like that's the biggest thing. You know, I just, I don't, I just don't see it being a big draw to people if that's how it was going to end, how it ended. So, um, yeah, I don't have a lot of thoughts about it other than the fact that, like, no, I don't think I'd, I'd want to see it. Why are you like, this way? Why are you the way you are? <laughs> fine, fine. You know what would be cool, though? I will bring this up. You know what would be badass? Uh, hopefully later on. Maybe this is something we get because we really didn't see this with yoda i would love to see grogu like be trained by the jedi and go through the trials like wouldn't that be really cool to see like as he develops into like a young a young grogu (laughs) a young findling like that would be cool i think that would be kind of cool what do you think i think we will see that and i think part of it might not even be in mandalorian i think a lot of that might be in the obi-wan series that we were talking about last week because I think because of Grogu's age and them talking about how he was partially trained already, it's very possible that we may see this from years back. But it would also be great to see where it goes from years forward. Talking, I don't want to give anything away that we're going to talk about next week with episodes 7 and 8 and who comes into play there. But yeah, I'd, I'd be excited to see that. Wouldn't it be badass to see fucking Grogu with the lightsaber, the child that we've grown up with, like to turn into a badass? It, in my mind, that would be almost like watching Drogon grow up over the years, and then we saw him turn into the badass he was. Like that would, I think that'd be cool. Malice in the Chalice goes to the Shadow Realm. There goes my fucking goblet. Let's turn it back over to Uncle Nelly for part two. Yeah, part two of my great debate card is simply this. Do we think the introduction of Ahsoka Tano presents Moff Gideon with more midichlorian blood count for these experience for these experiments more so than the child? No, absolutely not. Unfortunately, as much as I want to side with Ahsoka, because don't get me wrong. Like, I know it seems like I'm taking a lot of the opposite sides of Ahsoka. I think Ahsoka's great. I think she's fantastic. But the species that he is, it goes down to even what Ahsoka said herself, quote-unquote, in this uh, second episode we discussed today. There's only one other person she's known like him for that species, and that was Yoda. So as far as metachlorian count itself, there's only one person that could ever rival what I think Grogu has besides Yoda, and I think that's the person that trained Ahsoka. 
and uh, and and good lord knows i'm a sith lord like i am the i am the antagonist on this show and i love being the villain because if you don't live long enough to see yourself become the hero someone's got to become the villain <laughs> that's where i'm here at but here's the deal is it just comes down to species and there's nothing that's wrong with that with ahsoka and she's got a lot more training don't get me wrong she's got a lot more training she's got a lot more skill she's got a lot more thoughts She's got a lot more of that intellectual ability that can win battles. But when it comes down to pure metachlorian talent and counts, there is nothing that can compete with Grogu because of the species he is. And it's so rare to have. And that's my opinion on it. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm like leaning towards agreeing with you just simply because of the fact that uh, Yoda... If you guys watched any of the Star Wars trilogies, either the prequels, the original, or the ones that just recently came out, you will know that Yoda had the highest midichlorian count before a certain individual that we will, <laughs> that we will talk about later on. I'm not going to give it away. And so that's me, he, baby. You forgot it was me. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you guys. So <laughs> sorry. So if 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 Yoda had the highest midichlorian count before this special individual, just because this special individual trained another Jedi does not mean they possess the same midichlorian count. And so I would be inclined to agree with Chase that you know the end all be all of Moff Gideon's experiment is to extract the midichlorian count from. The child Grogu himself, simply for the fact that he probably has a higher midichlorian count than any other creature that we've seen in season two so far uh, in the Mandalorian, including Ahsoka Tano. And that's what I have for that. Damn. I'll let Jay Nelly sign us off. Fucking great episode. Fucking great show. It never ceases to impress me on all levels it's just a fun show if you have not seen it please check out the mandalorian because man it is it is on its peak right now and it is taking the star wars franchise to new levels i'll turn it over to jay nelly cool man i mean end of the day you've said a lot of what we needed to say here right like we love the mandalorian it's a fantastic franchise uh, we're going to finish out Season 2 next week when we tackle Episodes 7 and 8. Today we've tackled Episodes 4, 5, and 6. It's been fantastic, guys. If you have not done so already, please go check out our social media pages. We have our initial Instagram page, at Official Ridiculous Patronus, that you can follow. We have our Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We've got this amazing TikTok where Chase has brought us over 100,000 viewers in the time that we've had this TikTok page at Ridiculous Patronus. Uh, we're on Twitter at RP Factor Fantasy. We've got Snapchat again at RP Factor Fantasy. There are separate Instagram and TikTok pages that are very similar to the official Ridiculous Patronus count accounts, just simply for specific Factor Fantasy related subjects and topics you can follow. And that is at fact underscore or underscore fantasy for both Instagram and TikTok. So 
We want to give a shout out to our host site again, Podbean. Fantastic. Been on their featured list for well over a year now. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Acast, Stitcher, Spotify. It does not matter. Wherever you get your podcasts, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. We're so thankful for you guys as viewers. We're going to sign off today. That being said, guys, you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, signing off. off.